names. I'm sorry to be bothering you again, but there's something that one of our guests said in one of our recent podcasts that just is is bugging the hell out of me. And I hope you are willing to indulge me in talking about this. I know I dragged you away from your other work and have made you read this just truly horrible provision on aggregation that our friends at ICMA, along with lots of our other friends, have drafted. I, I just, I curse the day that they created these newest forms of uh, collective action clauses. But one of our guests said something in passing. It was offline, and I'm not going to identify who it was or whether it was in the context of Russia or Argentina or Sri Lanka. But I mean, as I read that provision, the implications seem to be gargantuan. Are you willing to talk us through this? Because I am so, I'm so surprised by what this seems to actually say that I don't even want to be the one to read it aloud. <laughs> so I have been, I've been looking forward to this conversation in part because my reaction is the same as yours. When, when our guests dropped this offhand comment, my first reaction was that I couldn't possibly have understood them correctly. And then my second reaction was that if they were correct, then basically the last nearly 10 years, and by some perspectives, maybe the last 20 years of intense contract reform efforts, all designed first to put these collective action clauses in bonds, and then more recently to allow them to be aggregated across different bond series. All of that was even less useful than, than I had previously thought. And I, I didn't have an especially high opinion of its usefulness to begin with. But let's set up the problem before we go into the idea, and maybe that will be helpful. Okay, so would, would you would you mind sort of, um, I, I, I just, uh, because this is so big and the implications are, <laughs> I, I just only think gargantuan, can we walk through this slowly? Because maybe if we walk through it slowly, we'll realize that, you know, surely we're wrong. Or yes. maybe it'll help, you know, one of our listeners uh, who's much wiser, they, they can tell us that, you know, that there's like some words that, you know, go together that if we read with the, you know, the Queen's English or something like that, that really show that what we're reading is not what we're really reading. Correct. But before we even read the contracts, I just want to point out that many countries, probably most countries, at least most that are thinking about a debt restructuring, have both a pile of foreign law debt and a pile of local law debt. And the, the pile of local law debt is typically much larger. In some cases, it is a lot larger than the foreign law debt. And the local law debt has been mostly ignored because it's subject to local law and is pretty easy to restructure. And the concerns about holdout litigants 
and the effort to insert the collective action clauses, those with the exception of the Eurozone, which we can kind of set to the side, those efforts have been really focused on the foreign law part of the debt stock. And the, the provisions I think we want to read are the new, uh, we can call them the ICMA provisions, but the new aggregation provisions that say, at the issuer's discretion. Okay, now you're reading the clause. I'm not reading okay. anything yet. I'm, I, okay. Hold on. At the issuer's discretion, it can put forth a restructuring proposal to multiple series of bonds, and it can aggregate all of their votes together so that the vote rises or falls on their aggregated vote, and so that it becomes very hard to buy a blocking position in that large aggregated stock of bonds. So that's what these aggregation provisions are designed to do. Okay, so this was like the super big innovation in 2014 after the Greek restructuring in 2012. Everybody learned the lesson that we don't want to do bond restructurings where we have to do bond by bond by bond. Let's just have a ginormous single vote for everybody. And then if there are any holdout creditors, we can just quash them. Is that that's what we're talking about, right? That's exactly right. And before we start going through the, the document, let's just kind of get the idea out there. And the idea is basically this. And we can walk our way through the document to see if the idea works. And I, I will say that our, our guest Oh, you mean this is the, so? Okay, so this is sort of the like the the sneaky reading of this provision, although it, it yes. maybe not it's so not, sneaky. It's not it's sneaky. Just, it's, it's just, just obvious. reading. Yeah, and our guest was suggesting that there would be a real penalty imposed by the market on an issuer who did this. So it would be a a very aggressive stance to take. But the idea basically is that, as in Greece, the whether by legislation or otherwise, the issuer restructures local law debt, but it does it in a way that just puts an aggregation clause into that local law debt. You could maybe restructure financial terms while you're doing so it. That it doesn't basically, matter. Just, just to clarify, so basically, as you're setting it up, you have like, let's say you have, you know, 40 billion of uh, international sovereign bonds, and then you have 40 billion of uh, local sovereign bonds, and then you step one is you take all of the local sovereign bonds and you pass a law or you tell invite everybody to tender and you say i'm going to give you new prettier bonds they'll still be under local law but now they're all going to have pretty aggregation provisions just like the international bonds except exactly. they're governed by local law okay all right. right don't know how this helps you but all right no, I think you know very well how it helps you because your local law holders will be relatively pliable, maybe in part because of the different composition of investors if in your local law debt, but also because they're holding local law paper and the issuer can screw them at its leisure if it wants. Um, but the idea... Okay, simply, so again, I just want to clarify this. I'm, I'm very slow. So you... You put in, you give all the local law debt these aggregation provisions, but they are still local law debt. So there's 
still very vulnerable to all sorts of other things you could do to them, like you could impose withholding taxes, you could just pass random laws saying that, you know, they can't sue you, uh, you could you could even pass laws that just reduce the amount they owe. So you have two pools, they both have aggregation provisions, but one pool is going to do whatever you want them to do. That is exactly correct. And now you just pool them. You conduct an aggregated vote that includes both your hard-nosed foreign law holding investors, who I think have been assuming that only similar hard-nosed foreign law holding investors can be in a voting pool with them. And you double the size of your voting pool, and you include a whole bunch of very compliant, docile voters. Surely, surely that's not allowed. Surely that's not allowed. That seems so obviously not allowed that it never even occurred to me to read the documents to see whether it was or was not allowed until our guest said this thing that may or may not even have meant uh, what we are making it out to be. But once our <laughs> yeah, guest said the, that, I was like, oh. <laughs> I mean, we should not blame the hypothetical guest because the hypothetical guest might not have intended this. It's just, we couldn't understand what this person said. So we went back and we're like, okay, let's read it a little more carefully. And then we were like, really? Is that what it says? Like, I mean, I have read the stupid, stupid multi-page gibberish provision so many times and i i i always missed it i mean i i i I gotta give you the credit or the blame for actually saying no 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 i think this is what it says but all right we've we have um we should just read it yeah okay so uh, as i understand it you can aggregate basically any bond together as long as it satisfies the definition of a debt security capable of aggregation. That's the the term that uh, defines the range of eligible securities that can be aggregated together. And that is a defined term. And I'll read most of the provision. Okay, drumbeat. (laughs) Debt securities capable of aggregation means those debt securities, which include or incorporate by reference the provisions described in, and here I'm just going to bracket, ICMACAC, or provisions substantially in these terms, which provide for the debt securities, which include such provisions, to be capable of being aggregated for voting purposes with other series of debt securities. Basically, as far as I understand it, anything can be aggregated as long as it includes or incorporates by reference a CAC that is substantially the same as the ICMA CAC. There's no limitation to foreign law debt. There's no other limitation at all. Oh, my goodness. So like all of that local law debt, the 40 billion of local law debt that you put aggregation provisions into retroactively, Greece style. Now, all of those people who are going to vote in whatever way the sovereign wants, either because they're domestic institutions under the thumb of the sovereign. Just imagine you're like a local bank in 
Moscow and Mr. Putin asking you to vote on his sovereign debt restructuring. Uh, and all of them, their votes count just as much as the foreign holders? I think so. And, you know, we can even posit a slightly less coercive way to do this. You know, you if I can hearken back to the the drama over Argentina's uh, recent use of the ICMACAC and the supposed uh, Pac-Man type strategy. But you could imagine doing an actual restructuring where your local lawholders tendered, got new bonds with restructured payment terms and the substantially similar ICMACAC. Presumably, you can drive a pretty hard bargain with them, so they will accept relatively favorable uh, issuer, favorable payment terms. And then you can just do round two, where you offer them slightly better restructuring terms that are also being offered to holders of the foreign law paper. And then everybody will, you'll get 100% approval from your local law debt stock, because who doesn't want free money? Oh my goodness! So the this, the implications of this are so staggering that surely there's something that we are missing. Did 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 you look? I looked and I couldn't find anything. Is there something in like the on the ICMA website or something like that says that these these aggregation provisions only apply to foreign law debt? or something like that? Did, I mean, first of all, who cares what the ICMA website says? But second of all, no, I, I, don't, I don't see anything like that. And it's one of the reasons, as you said at the beginning, why we, should, why we wanted to have this podcast is I, can't, I just can't believe that this is permissible. And so I, whenever something really fundamental and obvious like this occurs to me, my first my instinctive reaction is to assume that I must be wrong. And I I have tried to read the full ICMACAC very carefully, but I have to tell you, me too, it is so exhausting to try to read that thing that my brain almost refuses to do it. It's like the baton death march for my brain. I can't get to the end of the provision, but in the parts I have read, I just, I don't see anything that says you can't do this. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness gracious. So just la last question. I, I know um, we should not incur Liana's wrath by going on and on and on. And I think this is actually, this is pretty damn clear. Um, what about like something like the duty of good faith? Would, would that like... Could, could a foreign holder say, I don't want to be aggregated with this crappy local law stuff? Like, this is a breach of breach of good faith. I, I'm, I'm special. I mean, you can certainly imagine claims like that being made. But, you know, my sense of how courts approach these documents is that they treat them as if they were perfectly complete contracts. And Generally speaking, if they say you can't do something, you can't do it. But if they don't say you can't do something, then it's allowed. Maybe you have a different view, but I, 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 I view know. this setting as one where the duty of good faith has like little baby teeth, not real yeah. teeth. I was just clutching at straws. I mean, this is even worse, right? It explicitly 
I mean, it explicitly allows you to do the thing. So, I mean, it, it's really hard. I mean, I wonder whether I'm just throwing this out and we, sh we should wrap up. I wonder whether this is a product of thinking about the European context where, you know, they want to be able to treat uh, the local law holders just the same as the foreign law holders. And if for European sovereign debt, like Italian sovereign debt, you, the vast majority is uh, local law holders. And then you have like this tiny sliver of foreign law holders. And it's very different from Sri Lanka or uh, even uh, Russia, where you have a giant amount of international debt and then a giant amount of local law debt. And it's crazy to think that like they could be aggregated, but that's what this provision seems to say. Yeah, I mean, so I think that must be part of the explanation. And maybe part of it is that everyone was so, the impetus for this ICMA clause was in many respects, Argentina. And I think a lot of folks are sensitized to be thinking about the, I'm going to put scare quotes around problem, but the problem of holdout litigation as a problem of foreign law debt and not a problem of local law debt. And like, I, don't, I don't know that anyone really thought about what would happen if you assume a, an issuer who was willing to play hardball in the way that we're describing. I, I just, I, I have to assume that nobody thought of this. I, certainly I never heard anyone talking about how local law debt might relate to the foreign law debt during the drafting process. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, this reminds me of a conversation. I think we maybe uh, I had or we had with Tess Wilkins and Ryan um, at the University of Pennsylvania. And Tess said, hey, look, if there's an explicit provision that allows you to do something, it's really hard to see how that is playing hardball. Uh, it, it explicitly says you were allowed to do it. It must have envisioned that you were allowed to do it. Yet, I am absolutely convinced that this is not the reading of this provision that the people who drafted this were intending. I think they're just going to be like, oh my goodness, this guts the entire entire apparatus of these fancy new CACs. Yeah, and, and I think investors holding foreign law paper would be apoplectic about, uh, about a, an issuer that did this, even though it's, it's so, unless we're wrong in how we're reading this, it's so obvious and so clever. And so it just unwinds 20 years of work that I almost want to see it happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do hate those new CACs, but uh, this this surely should kill it if we are right. But then if we are right, we probably also should just go immediately into witness protection. Uh, so at least at least you should. I'm glad I put the onus on you. You're the one who actually read the clause and articulated the meaning. I'm just I'm just an innocent bystander, everybody who's listening. But of course, I, as always. <laughs> all right, Mark. I think I think this is I, I think this is a game changer. This is potentially at least, I mean, just reading that clause on its face. If you do what it says you're allowed to do, this is a weapon that Sri Lanka could use, but alas, it is also a weapon that Russia could use. That's correct.
seems that way. Oh, on that note, we should end. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, me too. This was fun. I've been looking forward to this one.